for our catechism lesson uh, this afternoon, or approaching this afternoon. You have uh, printed there in the liturgy, uh, Lord's Day 32, question answer 86 of the catechism. I'm going to read that, and then I'm also going to read a couple of other uh, catechism question and answers which aren't printed uh, for us in preparation to uh, then hear from the Word of God and then the Word of God preached. The Catechism, Lord's Day 32. Well, let me maybe first um, remind you, in case there's anyone here who wasn't uh, here in the morning service, of uh, what we uh, thought about. We were thinking especially about the exhortation of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 pertaining to our generous giving to the Kingdom of Christ, specifically to the local church uh, for the specific purpose of supporting the local church and the preaching there and then the uh, efforts of church planting done by local churches and also for the specific reason of relief for the saints, that is, uh, Christians who have struggled uh, to meet their basic necessities. So we're talking about giving and we're going to continue that topic uh, this afternoon. Question 86, since then we are redeemed from our misery by the grace of God through Christ without any merit of ours, why must we do good works? Or to apply it to our topic, why must we give generously and sacrificially and joyfully? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, renews us also by His Holy Spirit after His image, that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His blessings and that He might be glorified through us then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof and that also by our godly walk we may win others also to Christ. And then I'm going to read to you from uh, question and answer 103 in the Catechism which also addresses this idea of giving. What does God require in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment being remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the answer says, in the first place, God wills that the ministry of the gospel and the schools for it be maintained. I'll just uh, stop there in that question. That's the part of the question that I want us to consider. God requires in the Sabbath commandment that the ministry of the gospel and the schools for the training of that ministry uh, be maintained. And then question 111 in the Catechism what does God require of us in the Eighth Commandment, which teaches thou shalt not steal? What does God require of us positively in this commandment? The answer is that I further my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, and I deal with him as I would have others deal with me, and that I labor, I work faithfully, so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. The uh, Catechism is a faithful summary of God's Word in those points, and I just will read to us briefly from First uh, Timothy chapter 6, and I'll read verses uh, 17 and 18. This is the Holy Word of God. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, they are to be rich in good works, 
They are to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So far the reading of God's uh, holy word. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we have heard your wonderful words uh, read aloud to us and, of course, uh, heard them in our own language. We thank you for preserving your scripture. We thank you that there are no errors in it. We thank you that your spirit will make it effectual to our hearts as it is preached and proclaimed. Father, we thank you also for the tool, the Heidelberg Catechism, the faithful tool to help us uh, interpret the Scripture, to uh, apply it to our, our minds and hearts, will be uh, submissive to your will uh, this afternoon for Christ's sake. Amen. Beloved congregation, we made the point this morning that it is easy for us as God's people, whenever we hear the very clear biblical command to give cheerfully and generously for the kingdom of Christ, whenever as officers of the church we hear the command to uh, avoid selfish gain and the love of money and the squandering of the resources of Christ's people, whenever we hear these commands, immediately we are tempted to justify our own sins. It's very difficult, isn't it, to hear a call to set aside our greed, set aside our love of money, set aside our ungodly, worldly view of the things that we have, and to be conformed to the scriptural admonition to really support generously uh, with our money of the kingdom of Christ through the uh, local church to which we've been called and where Christ has placed us. And our challenge is always to, to get over that. And, of course, it's only the grace of God in Christ, it's only the power of His blood and His righteousness and the power of His Spirit sanctifying us that will make any inroads into our hearts and lives. I'm going to have to assume that as Christian people, the power of the gospel is at work in us and that by God's grace, uh, we will respond favorably when we are called by the law to give more generously. And I want to address uh, from the catechism and even from the scriptures some of the more uh, practical questions as they pertain to our giving and responding to this kind of a call. Uh, the first thing that I want you to notice is that God does not, when he commands us to give generously uh, from the scripture, he is not commanding us to live an austere, uh, completely boring and uh, poor, uh, impoverished lifestyle. Some of us may be called to that kind of a life either through the providences that uh, he has sent, difficult providences in our lives, or maybe uh, our consciences are convicted that God has called us to live in a very a simple way. But I want you to notice from the scripture, and I could show you all over the place, especially through the book of Proverbs, but, but the scripture in commanding us to give generously and sacrificially is not telling us that we have to live on the street and give every spare penny that we have. Uh, to the church. I want to read that passage again. As for the rich in this present age, and by the way, you might not be thinking that rich applies to you, but that's not true. Rich does apply to you. Again, I remind you, the context of this writing, the, the Christians who were considered rich in the Ephesian church, it's, it's probably true that some of them had a lot more than some of you have and that I have in my uh, portion in this life and in your portion in this life, but it's very likely true that, that most of us live far above 
in terms of our own comforts and our own uh, technologies and our own toys uh, than some of these people did who were considered rich. And so this is speaking clearly to people who maybe had less than we do and the scripture is calling them rich. I don't want you to underestimate how much our own standard of living is uh, so much greater than any other people in the history of humanity. You have to think about that so that you can have the right perspective on our responsibility, our stewardship of what God has given us. You, you can't just see yourself, compare yourself to your neighbor or the person that's sitting in the church next to you who may have more than you. You've got to think of your broader state. You've got to think about all of the people that live around the world and think about your standard of living compared to them. Not to speak of all the people that lived around the world, even in the, the areas where we live today, hundreds and thousands of years before we did and how much better off we are in general than they are. So think about that. You are the rich in this present age. Paul says, charge them, we are charging you this afternoon, not to be arrogant. That's the first thing that he says. Do not be haughty. Do not be arrogant. In other words, don't think that it's, you, know, you deserve all this stuff that you have because of who you are and what you do. And uh, certainly there is a measure of justice. If you work hard, if you have gifts and what have you, then you uh, will tend to be rewarded uh, with more benefits. But I want you to know it happens in God's providence that you were born into the situation that you're born into with all of the technologies and the medicine and the comforts and the air conditioning and the conveniences that we have. This is not something that you did. This is something that has been given you by God. This is not something that makes you better than anybody else. We are no better because of the things that we have and that we enjoy than the people who are living in, in the, the backwaters of China and drinking toxic water out of polluted rivers so that all they have to look forward to in survival is contracting a sickening and painful cancer all of their lives. So if you have any hint of being better than other people because of the quality of life that you live. I don't care what you've accomplished in your life, how much education you have, how professional you are, what your hourly wage is, how much you're able to manipulate people, uh, or, you know, in a, in a, don't just mean that in a simple way, how much you're able to work the system to do well, and none of that matters. It's all been a gracious gift of God for you, so take yourself down off the pedestal, first of all. And second of all, he says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Let's be reminded that we may be the most successful financial planners. We might have laid all of the things out. We might think that we have all kinds of securities, but no, God can take away everything in an instant. And I'm no you know, financial expert, but the financial people will tell you that every economy that has ever existed is always on the brink of a collapse. And there are certain reasons to believe that's all the more true of our own cultural condition. So how silly, how stupid would it be for us to put our trust in our riches and the things that we have, as if, even if the economic system was stable, God could not come in at any instant and take it all away. So we should not trust our riches. Our riches do not give us security. They only give us security insofar as God has graciously given them to us and will graciously sustain them to provide for our needs. Do not trust the uncertainty of riches, but rather you should trust God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This was the point, the main, one of the main points why we read this passage. Remember I said, he's not calling us necessarily 
to live an austere lifestyle. We don't spend anything on your pleasures and you don't enjoy anything, but you give everything, every last penny, you know, to the church and you cut everything out of your... No. You can enjoy richly the pleasures that God has given you within the bounds of His law. And in fact, it is wrong to not give Him the glory for the things that you enjoy in life. When you enjoy the fruit of your hands because of your labor, when you enjoy eating your food, when you enjoy the toys that you have, you may say, you should say, thanks to God for His richness, His creativity. He created me with the capacity to enjoy things and have fun. And I give thanks to God for that. He is the one who provides us with good things to enjoy within the bounds of His law. So we are not guilting you into or, or guilting you out of earthly pleasures as long as they're within the bounds of God's law. That's a good thing. You should enjoy them. And, verse 18, you are to do good to be rich in good works and to be generous and willing to share. So at the same time, when you are enjoying the blessings of God, you have the twin responsibility of doing good by being rich in good works, that is, to be generous and ready to share. And this means two things. In the first place, it means what we talked about earlier, which is giving sacrificially and generously for the advancement of the kingdom. All right, It means supporting church planting and paying the preachers and it means supporting the saints who are in need, who can't meet their basic necessities. Providing, In our context, that means providing the deacons with enough funds, the church, the offering with enough funds, so that as Christ sees fit to help people who have genuine needs, he, they, the officers will extend that money in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will send out with that money uh, church planters. In other words, they'll maintain this church here, or they will send that money out then to support other church planters. This is what the money is to be spent on. But also, secondly, generous and ready to share means that if you have a greater measure of earthly material blessings in this life, you should not hoard them only for the enjoyment of yourself and your own family. But you should share them with other people, especially those who may not have the same level of blessing that you have in this life. If you have been given money so that you can enjoy luxuries like fancy foods or eating out. You can enjoy luxuries like certain kinds of cars, a certain kind of comfortability in your home, in your living. If you can enjoy certain kinds of hospitality that you provide for yourself, the scripture says you ought to be ready to share. You ought to share in the joy of God's blessings that he has given to you with other people. People especially who don't have the same measure of blessing that you have in this life. It is one of the ways that you reflect the kindness and the goodness of God to you by giving to others. It's not wrong to spend money. It's not wrong to spend money on yourself and to enjoy blessings within the bounds of God's law. But it is wrong not to spend that money that other people may enjoy the blessings with you. And you say, well, why is that? This is my stuff. I worked for it. No, yes, that's true. God gave it to you through your labors. God gave it to you through his gracious providences and the circumstances in which you live. And so we are called to be good stewards and reflect the image of God in how we uh, use our money, showing kindness to others as he shows kindness to us, sacrificially and generously, cheerfully giving for the advancement of the kingdom to glorify him as he's working in the world. That's the basic idea that we're looking at. When we think about the catechism's approach to this topic, we'll say, a couple of things here. First, of course, the catechism reiterates the motivation for it in question answer 86, which was printed for us. 
I mean, obviously the motivation is thanksgiving. We won't repeat that thought in detail in this sermon we did in the last. Given what Christ has done, of course I'm going to show him gratitude by opening my wallet, spending money on other people, and generously giving to the church. Just like he's poured out himself for me, right? But look at these other two uh, ideas, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof. There's this interesting connection in the Scripture. I wish we had more time to develop it, but it's the idea that our use of money has a lot to do with our spirituality. And it's funny how people in their minds can separate what they believe about God and then the practical things of everyday life, especially things they find really important, which, you know, like our money. An interesting, a funny little story. There's an elder in our church who is a financial planner. And uh, we're always joking about things that if uh, the same people came into counseling, one with me, the pastor, and one with him as their financial planner, say, who would hear the more details about their life and which appointment would they take more seriously? Well, we, uh, he often uh, laughs with me about he can't even believe what kinds of things he hears from people and the details about their lives and their thoughts and even their souls that they will share with their financial planner and stuff that a pastor would never hear, even in a counseling appointment. Now, what's the point? Of, my point is that Really, let's just face it, I mean, deep down, something that really gets us thinking and really gets us excited and really gets us passionate and something that we are very protective about is what? It's our money. And that's just how it is, isn't it? I mean, you can mess with a lot of things before you mess with someone's money. And what that shows is how important money is to us. The point of it then is obviously how we use our money will say a lot about who we are and what we really believe. We ourselves may be assured of our faith, faith by the fruits that are Therefore, what my point is, is if you are not using your money in a way that is glorifying to God, if you are being stingy toward Christ and His church, if you're robbing God, as we'll point out later through the commandments, then you're going to have a spiritual problem. And specifically, I would say here, you're going to be struggling with the assurance of your salvation because when you participate with the great joy of giving to the kingdom of Christ, you are seeing Christ at work in you because it is very unnatural for the sinful man to part with something that he loves so much. And when you see yourself, by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, opening your wallet for the advancement of the kingdom, sharing it with others, sharing your joys, not being greedy, not being stingy. You can't help but say, thank you, Father, for this work of sanctification that you're doing in my heart and my life. I mean, I dare you to open your wallets for the kingdom and see what happens. See what happens. See the joy and the peace that you have. See the falling out of love by God's grace, that you will have with the material things of this world and the joy and peace that you find in Christ, even if it means that you will struggle. You know, the false teachers, the health and wealth teachers, they promise you that if you give, you know, you're going to receive X amount back, that you're going to have more and more money, in fact, in this life and blessings. And we don't tell you that. Because that's a lie. It may happen. I hope it happens for you. It may happen that way. Uh, I hope the Lord gives you a lot of money in this life. I don't know if He will. But one thing I can tell you is that you will benefit extraordinarily spiritually in this life by opening your wallet and giving generously and cheerfully and sacrificially beyond what you even think you can do. 
And in the new heavens and the new earth, where you've been storing up your treasures, you will receive an abundance beyond your wildest imagination by the kindness and grace of God who sanctified you to do that in the first place. I can tell you that. That is true. What's this other motivation here in the Catechism? By our godly walk, we may win others also to Christ. One of the most sick and disgusting things about our culture is its materialism. And I guarantee you, if you show genuine hospitality and generosity, and I'm not talking about the kind that, you know, you give a little and then you demand that it all be given back to you, and if you don't receive an invite in the same way that you gave an invite, then, oh, you're never going to talk to them again. But if you show the kind of hospitality and the kind of generosity and sharing your blessings, well, you're not expecting anything in return, but you're just one of these strange people that spends money on others. You're just one of these strange people which sacrifices some of your own pleasures and your own standard of living and for the advancement of the church. You are going, certainly, to stand out like a sore thumb in this materialistic world and culture. You're even going to stand out like a sore thumb in your own church because Christians are always tempted to be stingy and rob God of their own money. And what is going to happen is this bright light and holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ and selflessness shining through you. And our, our fervent prayers that the Spirit will bring that to the attention of other people who will recognize that there is the power of God at work in somebody's life, relieving them, releasing them from their slavery to material things. And the emptiness and the vanity of the the, the pursuit of more and more and more and more things and toys in order to somewhat, uh, somehow fulfill me, so to speak, when really it's just masking the deep down guilty conscience that I haven't dealt with by fleeing to Christ. You know, people will see that kind of uh, lifestyle toward finances, that godly mentality, and it will by God's grace, be a, a way in which he may be drawing uh, these people to them, to him. We can uh, think of the direct commandment here in Heidelberg uh, 103, instructing us in our obligation in the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment here. I'll read that again. What is God requiring of us in the fourth commandment? The first place God wills that the ministry of the gospel and the schools for the training of that ministry be maintained. Now, I want you to pause and think about this, but it, it, frankly, takes money to do church the way that God requires. And the problem with some Christians who sit in churches is they don't, they don't recognize it and they don't care. They come and they take and they take and they take from a church and they don't give to support the church. And you think, well, yeah, you easily can say that as a minister. And I admit that to you. Yes, I can easily say that as a minister. And yes, I have no problem admitting to you that I would have the... Uh, the, the temptation that some of you don't have, which is my own selfish gain, and uh, always thinking that I don't get paid enough and whatever. But that still doesn't, uh, that doesn't excuse me, and the law doesn't excuse you from your responsibility to support the church. We have, as ministers of the word, to make a livelihood. And if you want the kind of training and you want the kind of preaching that is biblical and you want the kind of pastoral care that is actually genuine, that takes time and that takes training 
And it takes sacrifice, just like all of you make sacrifices in your own callings. And for that reason, the church, in our particular culture, has said, we want to set men aside and free them from earthly call, other earthly callings that they may focus their attention on these things. And that takes money. Just like it takes money for you to provide for your own self and your own families and your own friends. So we have to pay the preachers. And that takes money to pay the preachers. Where does that money come from? It comes from the people of God who are feasting on what God is using the ministers to give us, which is the means of grace, the preaching of the Word, and the sacraments. In a way that is fitting. Not just somebody getting up and saying whatever they want to say. But being well-trained, experts in the Scripture students of the Word, who have the time to study the Word. What about the people who need the relief in the church? I mean, really, the church in its ministry can't exist if all it does is tell people that they love them and that they want to be a community and reach out to them, by the way, only if you kind of have your life together and you never have any real needs. No, we get people in the church, and if we're going to be a Christian church, we're going to get the oppressed, we're going to get the marginalized, the outcasts, the ones who have made a mess of their lives, the ones who have all kinds of struggles in their family. Maybe they go up and down in their jobs. And it is our obligation as the people of God who have been blessed to rise to their support. This land is filled with churches who accept functionally only people of a certain socioeconomic status. And it is much easier to live and run a church that way as church officers. Because you don't have to concern yourself with the occasional weird person who comes in your midst whose life is all messed up. Because you don't have to answer to him for his basic life needs. Hopefully he'll go somewhere else to get that taken care of. Instead of really reaching out to these people and ministering the gospel to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and applying it to their lives and comforting them, not just with your vain words, economic status, and it is much easier to live and run a church that way as church officers. Because you don't have to concern yourself with the occasional weird person who comes in your midst whose life is all messed up. Because you don't have to answer to him for his basic life needs. Hopefully he'll go somewhere else to get that taken care of. Instead of really reaching out to these people and ministering the gospel to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and applying it to their lives and comforting them, not just with your vain words, but with the actual support of something that really means something to us, which is our money. And we as the church have to give generously to that. Otherwise, we don't have a church. We have a social club. And I don't know why you would want to come to a social club that's like this. You could find one that's much more fulfilling and enjoyable. God wills that the ministry be maintained. The ministry of the gospel and the schools, be main, schools for the training of the ministry be maintained. In our particular culture, we send a lot of people to seminary. So the seminaries ought to be provided for through the churches. Or if we move away from that model and train them more through the churches themselves, then we ought to continue the support of the churches that that may go forward. This is why we give. The law tells us to. Question 111, approaching it from a different angle. What does God require of us in the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. It's not just, don't think of this commandment as just, I shouldn't take something that belongs to somebody else. But it says that I should further my neighbor's good where I can and may. And deal with him as I would have others deal with me. And to work hard in my life so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. 
You know, you're not just working to sort of get by and pay your own bills, but one of the reasons that we are to labor faithfully and work hard in this life is also to be able to gain more in order to give more for the advancement of the kingdom. And to give regularly and generously and to increase our giving often for these purposes. Laboring faithfully. Giving faithfully. I like to think of it like this. If if you are not regularly, cheerfully, sacrificially giving to the Lord, then you're robbing God. It's a kind of theft. Thou shalt not steal that's worse than taking from your neighbor. You're taking from God Himself. If you've got people out in the culture who are lost in darkness and you won't ante up to send preachers out to preach the gospel and plant churches, and there are people coming in, those churches and your own church, who don't have their basic needs met, and you're not anting up to meet that, and you're not anting up to sustain the ministry of your own church. If these things are not happening, you are robbing God. These people are made in the image of God. And to rob them of their need is to rob God. This is all of what's at stake. Now, in closing, I just want to make a couple of practical points. All this is practical, obviously, but a couple of maybe applications of these ideas to us in our particular culture. I've often been distressed when I realized that if Christians just did a little bit more than what they do generally in our churches, a lot of our churches would have more money than they knew what to do with. And my point is, what I think the Lord is calling us to do is not something so extraordinary that you're going to find yourself moving out of the homes that you're in and downsizing and and moving in all together as a, a community a community of, of common, uh, with a common purse and all that. Nothing radical like that is being asked of us in the Scripture, I don't believe, unless your conscience is leading you that way. But just pause, like I've been challenged to do over the past couple of years, and think about all the extraneous money that you spend on your luxuries. I mean, think about the quality of the cars that we drive. Think about our constantly upgrading things that we have. Think about the amount of money that we spend eating out. Think about the amount of money that we spend on vacations. Think about the amount of money that we spend on newspapers and magazines and certain kinds of television, be it cable or satellite. Think about, we need a certain speed of internet. Think about all of these small things. Sit down with your credit card statement and with your daily bills and list it out and you might surprise yourself. You might surprise yourself at how much you're spending on toys and on luxuries. Now, remember what I said and nothing that I mentioned, I don't believe, at all is simple. In fact, I think you can enjoy whatever you want according to your means. And that is to be received by you gladly as a blessing from the Lord. However, let's just face it. 
What American Christians do is they enjoy luxuries according to their means and sometimes beyond their means and they do not give to the kingdom of Christ for the sustenance of their own local churches and church planting and relief of the saints anywhere near what is according to their means relative to their luxuries. Not even close. And you know, people can treat this all, you know, people set up some percentage in their minds or number in their minds that they're going to give. So maybe they decide that they're going to give 10% of whatever it is to the church. Well, for some of you, a 10% is a paltry percentage of what you should be giving for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. For some people, 10% may be too much given their condition. But examine your luxuries. Sit down and make a list of all the money that you spend on a regular basis on things that you don't need. And I'm not telling you not to continue to enjoy them. But I'm, I'm telling you, make sure that your giving is according to Christ's kingdom, is according to the same measure or means that those luxuries are. Now, I can't tell you all the details of all of these uh, the law. The law is not, uh, does not give me any authority to come and tell you you've got to give X amount of dollars or X percentage or whatever. But these principles are true. The scripture is very clear. Insofar as the Lord has blessed you, you give according to that measure. And as a society that is full of debt and full of spending on things that we can't afford and enjoying things that nobody else in the world enjoys, you better take a long, hard look that if you are giving according to the measure that you are enjoying your luxuries. And that doesn't mean you have to spend the exact amount on this and the, you know, that that has to meet the exact amount you're giving. I'm not saying that either. The scripture doesn't give me the right to declare that as God's law to you. But I can tell you this. Open your wallet for the kingdom of Christ. This is his commandment for us. To do it cheerfully and generously. And it's our privilege, isn't it? to do this as God's people. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.